this verse in Revelation 5, I'll read 1 through 5. I don't, Harley, I don't know if you were able to pull it up, but I, ju- I just want to read this over us. This is John. He's in, um, he has a vision of what heaven he says this, then I saw at the right hand of him who sat at the throne and a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel pro- proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it, I wept. I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, so this is someone in his vision who is in heaven saying to him, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he's able to open the scroll and its seven seven seals. Every song that we sing, every message that is preached, every prayer that we pray, our objective in these moments is to move every heart closer to the person of Jesus. Now, I know there's some people in here who are not Christians, and that's okay. Matter of fact, I'm so glad that you decided to be with us. We want to get, get you uh, uh, connected inside this reality that Jesus is Lord. And we would love to, you know, be able to form relationships with you. But this is, this is the truth of the matter. We're living in a day and a, in an age that, that living for Jesus is growing harder and harder. And we need to be encouraged more and more. That the soon coming reality of Jesus coming and restoring the kingdom of heaven on earth. Is, is coming to pass. The book of Daniel is, is a window of, of just that, of this, this, this framework, if you will, of how we're to serve God faithfully in, in an idolatrous culture. We've talked about this for over uh, six weeks now, and tonight makes uh, week seven. The first six chapters in Daniel are, are stories of Daniel's life. He, he spent 70 years in, in, in Babylon, and out of the 70 years, he has six stories to, to, to share. Pretty remarkable, if you ask me. And then the second half of Daniel, we're only going to cover the first, chap, uh, the first part of uh, the second half of Daniel. And here's what I would ask as homework for you. I know, coming to 710, I don't want to do homework. Well, tough it up. Uh, go, go home, read those, 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 those other chapters, 8 through 12. If you have questions, seriously, feel free to email me at CoreyCasterson at RevincentHV.com. Answer any question you have. The first six chapters are stories of Daniel's life. The second half, 7 through 12, contains visions that Daniel receives of future events. If you're taking notes, write this down. <coughs> God is working on us today. He's working on you and I to work through us tomorrow. He's shaping us, every experience that we go through, every encounter that we have with culture and with each other, every detail 
is forming us and transforming us in our spiritual walk with Christ. In the point of it all, God will not waste a moment. He's not wasting anything. And this brings us to our study tonight in, in chapter 7. And this is an on-ramp into something, honestly, I had to ask God, you know, ask for forgiveness when dealing with this subject. It, it's, it's, it's called, the terminology is called eschatology, which is the study of end times. And so these future events that Daniel is, is having these visions of are from 7 to chapter 12. And normally, in years past, I would not deal with eschatology. First of all, I don't, I don't, I know what my future holds. I'm gonna be with Jesus. Therefore, everything else is gonna be cool. I don't care what happens in the end. I know, I know what the, the end result is gonna be. That's not being faithful, especially as a as a pastor and leader. We need to be, me, myself included, need to be educated in the word of God and what is going to happen to God's people when that day comes and how we can prepare ourselves now. How God is working on us now to work through us tomorrow. And so Daniel is going to unpack a lot of that in, 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 his, in his, these chapters. But tonight, I'm just going to focus on this one particular kind of literature, which is called apocalyptic literature, which simply means it reveals that this present age that we live in, it's going to be replaced by the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ reigning for all of eternity. 90% of Daniel's prophecies, most scholars believe, has already come to pass. And we're going to look at a couple of them. There's 10%, 10 of Daniel's prophecies that have yet to come to pass, and that's what we're going to deal with, with tonight. Now, when I said eschatology, either some of y'all was like, man, I'm excited, or some of y'all probably checked out like, man, I can't wait to get out of here. E either way, here's the deal. Lean in. Maybe you'll learn something. I'm, I'm praying you'll learn something. Maybe you'll get an insight. But, but the overarching big picture here is that Jesus is moving in the hearts of his people. And he's going he's gonna to give us a window into what he's going to do in the future. So let's stop. Let's pray. Let's ask for the Spirit's leading and witness in this moment. Father, we thank you so much for your Love and compassion, your grace towards us. Thank you for the way that you, you really do love us, God. And, and tonight, right now, I'm asking um, one thing in particular for myself, God. Please give me the gift of speaking and teaching through this chapter. Do not allow me to say anything that's not of you. Father, let my words be numbered in a way that honors you. I pray that you would begin to work and maneuver and woo the hearts of those who don't know you in the in the room tonight and for those who are christian god i pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear from you and that ultimately god we will be moved closer to you in jesus name we pray amen um turn with me to uh, daniel chapter 7 if you have your bible if not we're gonna put it on the screen and as you get in there um i got a question to ask how many of you have ever had like a recurring dream or you've had dreams for like recurring dreams, like kind of the same dream having it over and over? Yeah, two of us, three, four, five, six. Yeah, come on, seven. I see that one. Amen. So, so, okay, now here we go. How many of us have had recurring dreams that, that were actually like nightmares? 
like the same scary, you know what, dream over and over and over. Yeah, 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 that's enough. That's enough. When I was a kid, I would have these dreams from, I'm going to say, elementary school until well into high school years. Have the same dreams over and over and over. I'm being chased by someone or something. Now, when I was a kid, that something was like dinosaurs, it was dogs, it was, you know, something along those lines, right? And I was always like, get up, cry, whatever. When I got older, though, they they became more uh, human-like. And when I say chasing me, like the whole dream was me running, me trying to hide. There would be times where I would get to an edge of a cliff or something, and, and I would look at whatever's coming at me, and, I would, and I'm finna just take the leap. <laughs> get out of here. Then there'd be other times where I'm like, man, I'm finna, mm, mm, so me and this, whatever, we, we in it, right? And I wake up, I wake up, you know, fighting this bitch. <laughs> that's not, that's not, that's, that's scary, actually. <laughs> Waking up, fighting the air. Daniel is having something similar of a situation, but I, I, I got to imagine it's a little bit worse. Because he's having these, he's having dreams, and then he's having to interpret dreams that are not sweet and rosy dreams. These visions that, that first Daniel has, well, Nebuchadnezzar, then Daniel, these are all dreams that, that don't have what you would call a, a, a pretty sight. And let's look at some of the historical context behind in verse 7, excuse me, 1 through 8, and then we're going to look at 15 through 18. So just read with me, follow along, and and then we're going to unpack this stuff. So uh, verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of the Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision... At night, I looked, and there were before me the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. So let's pause for a second. There's, excuse me, when thinking about the four winds, essentially what Daniel is getting at, it came from everywhere. North, south, east, west. These these winds that were churning up in the sea was from everywhere. Let's read on. Uh, The first, so four great beasts, each different from others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had wings of an eagle. I watched it until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on its side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back were four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. This thing is getting kind of crazy, huh? We got lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, 
there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And then we're going to look at 15 through 18, which says this. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. The visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of, the, one of those standing there asking him the meaning of all this. And he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. A lot going on here. Let's start with kind of an ancient Nary's understanding of what Daniel is seeing and in, in, in the, the, the culture that he's living in. Most people in this day, when they thought about the sea, it was a symbol of chaos. So when you think about oceans, for me in particularly, here's what comes to my mind. Hurricanes, uh, typhoons, tsunamis, cyclones, tropical storms, all these different kind of storms that generate in the ocean. And then from the ocean, they, they make their way to the land and they wreak havoc on the land. Most believe that these seas represented chaos and destruction, namely because of what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden when their rebellious actions caused sin to permeate throughout all of creation. And that creation is included, the ocean is included in that creation. Every storm, every wind, every wave that comes out of the sea that hits land, especially in the format of a natural disaster, causes some kind of destruction. And here's the deal. What Daniel receives in his vision, there's something that's way more troublesome coming out of that sea than a storm. These four beasts. The interpretation of these four beasts, let's, let's unpack what they mean. The first one, uh, most commentaries and scholars believe that the first beast was, was King Nebuchadnezzar. And we, we've looked at this and talked about this um, before. As you can recall, King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful and, 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 and most uh, ruling and unruling king of the time. And he ruled the largest kingdom of his day. He was extremely boastful. On one hand, he would say, bless the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then on the other hand, he would say, bless the, the God of, of Daniel, who was able to interpret the dream. All the while, considering himself to be the king, the, the one that's able to create life. And God had to humble him. In verse, in chapter 4, let me look at this here. Chapter 4, verse 32 to 33, essentially when, when Nebuchadnezzar is is uh, in his boastful state, the Lord came in and humbled him. And it's starting with 32, it says this, you will be driven away from people and live with wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by, uh, <coughs> will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like claws of a bird. Now, all prophecy is not doom and gloom. 
Nebuchadnezzar actually comes to Christ through this experience. I want to say that's the, that's the norm, but it's really not. And we're going to see this with the rest of these representations of these beasts. The second beast is found to be like a bear. And most scholars believe that th this beast is actually the Medes and the Persians who in chapter 5, they came, they came to kill Belshazzar. And now here's the deal. Make a little connection here. Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's grandfather. So, of course, Belshazzar would have that same kind of boastful attitude, the same as his, his grandfather. Many scholars believe that the three ribs that are represented in the bear's mouth were the three kingdoms that the Persians and the Medes had to kill before they got to Babylon. The third beast was found to be uh, Alexander the Great. Anybody know anything about Alexander the Great? Two, three, four. And a half. I see that hand. Simply put, Alexander the Great of his day was the most celebrated and the most revered king of all. He conquered the known world, the known civilized world, at age 28. Kind of uh, fun fact about uh, Alexander the Great. After he conquered his last kingdom, he went home. It was he threw a party. Threw a party for everybody in his kingdom, right? After the party, he went home. He was drunk, of course. Went home. Ten days later, died. He died of some kind of disease that we don't really know what, what, what kind of, you know, whether it be uh, uh, malaria, whether it be some type of uh, yellow fever, but he, he died. When he died, he had four generals, four generals in his kingdom that the, his, his land was split up to. And when his land was split up into those four, to those four generals, this gave way to the most powerful kingdom of them all. And the fourth beast is represented as the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the largest empire in the world, and it had connecting territories from Europe, North America, and all of the Middle East. There was a phrase that, that um, the Roman Empire and those who knew of its power, they would cite to one another, Imperium Centum, Imperial sentence. This was a Latin phrase that meant this empire is without end. It was an ideology that neither time nor space could limit the Roman Empire. And this same oppressive empire was in place when Jesus lived his day. Whew, you having fun yet? That was the first half <laughs> of his vision. Now we're going to deal with the second half. Verse 9, it says this. Verse 9 of, of chapter 7. <clears throat> As I looked, the thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days in this text is God. His clothing was as white as snow, and his hair on his head was like wool, white as like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. And then 
Now, let's stop there. So do me a favor real quick. Put on your spiritual imagination. Yeah, put on your spiritual imagination. <laughs> Daniel is in, like, getting a peek of heaven, and he sees millions upon millions of angels. Now, let me stop right there. These angels are not these little cute Christmas angels that we see on top of trees. They're not the same angels that, that dress like the little baby on, on February 14th and, and with the little boy and there and poke you in the butt. These, these are not those, these are not that kind of angels. These angels are like the Shaquille O'Neal of angels. These, these angels are, are massive. And they fly around. Isaiah 6 in particular has a, has a, uh, a very particular description of these angels that when they speak to each other, the temple shakes and the smoke fills the, 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 their temple, wherever they're worshiping in. I mean, just imagine that for a second. Put yourself in this story. Like, how are you feeling when you see or you witness something that incredible? Heaven ain't no library. They ain't up there. Being God is not cracking open these books to study for some final exam that he has at the end of the year. He's the judge, ruler, and sustainer of life sitting on the hot wheels of heaven. There you go, Connor. <laughs> Bursting with fire that represents his holiness, judging every deed that everyone has done at any given moment. Now, this leads me to a question that I want you to kind of think through real quick, and I'm going to just pause for a second. If there was a camera that followed your life for the last two months, would there be enough evidence to prove that you're a Christian? You know that story. Over the last two months, how about two years? How about 20 years? Would it be enough? And then the main question would honestly to be answered is, what did you do with Jesus? As Daniel is in this vision, as we unpack the rest of this story, there's two kind of characters at play here. And we're going to address these two characters and then give some takeaways at the end. The first character that we see is represented in this, this horn that he's talking about in verse 11. Then I continue to watch because of the boasting words, uh, boastful words of this horn that was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Daniel is referencing hell here. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And then let's skip down to verse 24 and tw through 26, <clears throat> which says this. Then the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom, this earth. And after them, another king will arise, different from the early ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. That, that times, times, half a time is essentially three and a half years. 
is what most uh, commentaries kind of uh, suggest there. This little horn, many scholars believe is he's talking about the Antichrist. Who's ever heard that phrase, the Antichrist? Who has never heard that phrase, the Antichrist? I, I guess somebody. This Antichrist individual, he's, he's going to be crafty. He's going to be cunning in words. But, but here's the deal. He's not going to be, you know, with horns and got his little black cape on running around the world with his handlebar mustache going by the name of Mike Howler. That's not, that's not who this, this, this Antichrist is going to be. I know some people don't get that, so I'll use Pete Carroll. Um, he's going to be winsome. His personality is going to be astonishing. And those who are unaware of his tendencies are going to fall prey to his deceitfulness. Here are kind of my top seven. There's way, way more um, on this list of what to look for in this antichrist kind of person. And again, he's not Pete Carroll or Mike Howler. Uh, the first thing is this antichrist person, he's going to claim to be God, and he's going to be worshipped as God. That's found in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. He's going to blaspheme the will of God. That We see that in verse 11 when he says this. Uh, he was speaking boastful words, this little horn was. And he kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destro- destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Revelation 13, 6 says this. He opened his mouth and blasphemes against God, uh, blasphemes against his name, against his church, and those who dwell in heaven. Number three, he, he's going to display miraculous powers. Revelations 13, 13 through 14 talks about him performing these great signs. He's going to have full authority. That's uh, number four. Verse, uh, verse 24 in, in, in chapter 7, it says, The ten horns are the ten kings, and from them another king is going to rise, this antichrist that's different from them, and he will subdue the three kings. And the holy people will be delivered into his hands. So he's going to have full authority, and, and how he's going to do this and how he's going to accomplish this is by having control over the world's economy. You ever heard the mark of the beast? Well, this Antichrist is going to usher that, that, that deal in. Again, Revelation 13 talks about, about that in full detail. But here's why some people believe that the Antichrist is already here, because there's a few companies, I've, I've heard stories and, and read kind of deals on this, where they would put chips and dogs and cats and stuff to find, you know, make sure that, you know, they, they belong to whoever they belong to. If they got lost, could be able to track them down, give them the address, call up the, the owner. They did that years and years ago. And then a few years after that, there's a company in Sweden. Um, they, they put a chip in their, in their uh, employees' wrist. Now, it wasn't mandatory, right? But they gave it incentive. Hey, if you get this chip, you get more vacation time, you get bonuses, all of these different things. And the chip was essentially so that if, you know, instead of a key fob, you got the chip. If you, if you want to go print off paper, we got the chip. This is already happening. It's already in the culture, in the water. And this antichrist is going to usher this stuff in by trying to get control over the economy. He's going to cause wars and, and rumors of wars are going to be started. In verse 6, 
or excuse me, number six. But here's the bottom line, which is number seven. His final destination is going to be in hell. His final destination is going to be in a lake of fire for all of eternity. And then when his time is up, it's going to lead to what Daniel sees, starting in verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And then verse 27 says this, Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This Son of Man is the title that Jesus used over 80 times throughout Scripture, but especially in the Gospel. This is his most known title that he uses himself. The Son of Man is a combination of God divine and human flesh. In the words of Eugene Peterson, this Son of Man, he invites or he is invited to dinner by prostitutes. He stops by the office of tax collectors for lunch. He slows down to bless children instead of being in a hurry to escape those who are trying to kill him. He heals unimportant people. He ignores the high-achieving Pharisees and the most influential Sadducees. Son of man, divinity in flesh. The same son of man would be the one hung on a tree, pierced to a cross, laid in a dark hole for three days. This would have been the most ungodlike of actions if he didn't resurrect. But for those of us in the room who know the end of this story, we know he got up in three days. We know that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we are willingly anticipating his return. This portion of Daniel's vision is showcasing the coming king riding on the clouds, the son of man returning to restore the kingdom of heaven on earth. And his kingdom that we're talking about will never be destroyed. This kingdom, it will have no end. And God's dominion given to, to Christ Jesus is going to be forever and ever and ever. So here go some three takeaways that we can apply from this story, from this vision, in Daniel's vision, and apply it to us in 2021. First one is this, Daniel's vision brings us closer to God. Daniel's vision brings us closer to God. John 15 13 through, through 15 <clears throat> says this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything that I have learned from my father. I have made known to you. In this prophecy, in this vision of future events, God invites us, you and I, his beloved ones into this intimate of, of spaces, trusted with this knowledge that he reveals his deepest plans for us for future events. To know the plans of God is to know the heart of God. And when we know his plans and his heart is revealed, our hope is brightened. And this is verse two, uh, um, a second point, which is Daniel's visions brightens our hope for the future. Romans 8.24, I'm just going to read this real quick. It just says this, Romans 8.24, for in this hope we were saved. This hope that is in Christ Jesus has brought salvation to the hearts of his children. It this element brings to life the hope and the glory of this coming king in the believer's life. Our hope helps us look forward with anticipation, knowing full well of how the end will be. I was with my son on, on Saturday. We was at uh, Old Chicago, the, the restaurant, pizza joint. Really good pizza. Me and him had ate a whole pizza, a large pizza by ourselves. Well, I ate a lot of it, and he ate a couple of slices. <coughs> um, at, at this deal, me and him are just having a conversation, and there's TVs all over the place, right? And he said, hey, Dad, don't, all right, don't get too excited, but football. <laughs> Wait, where? <laughs> where? Show me. He was like, it's over there. Look, but I think it's old. And I, and I look, and it's, <laughs> it's the NFC Championship. Sorry, Ray. Uh, Tampa Bay and the, and, and the Packers. Hey, settle down. Maybe your team will be in there next year. Um, so I'm, I'm watching this game, and there were some crucial mistakes made early in this game. Um, Leonard Fournette dropped two passes that, uh, in that game, seriously, in that game was extremely, like, like uh, uh, the, the anxiety was high when that game was going on live. But Saturday, there was no anxiety at all. There was, I, I was watching it with, like, Because I knew the end result. There was no anxiety about that game. None. Team went on to win, and they got the second Super Bowl in the franchise history. When we know the end, we don't have to live with anxiety. Daniel's vision, which leads me to my last point, builds us up for serving one another. Daniel's vision builds us up to serve one another. 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 4 says this, the end of all things is near. This is 1 Peter writing in first century Jewish culture. And he's saying then the end is near. Therefore, be alert, sober-minded, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. 710. Can I implore us to love each other deeply? 
Can I just can I just make a plea for us to love and to care for each other deeply? Peter says this also. He says, <clears throat> because love covers a multitude of sins, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I don't think that happens here. That's not us. In verse 10, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Instead of saying we have the cheat code, we win. When God's word has been drawn near to us, brought near to us, we willfully become participants, directing others to him by serving one another, loving one another, honoring one another, being his faithful witness. When we do that, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's a quote. I don't know who said this quote, but I just love it. We essentially become beggars pointing other beggars to where the bread is. When we love each other, when we serve each other, we're essentially just beggars pointing other beggars to where the bread is. We direct people to the only true source of life. So what does this mean for us? You know, if you're in the room and you go, I'm not a believer. I know some of this stuff. <laughs> that particular chapter could seem way more fantasy and sci-fi than reality. I get it. But here's something to just, just do me a favor. In verse 11, Daniel says, I considered or I, I thought about this. I was thinking about this. If you are not a believer in this room, do me a favor. Think about this. What is the end going to be apart from Christ? This is what we know to be true about Daniel's vision. There's a reality of a war that has already been won by the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and these visions they do two things they serve as a warning like Nebuchadnezzar had they serve as a warning for those whose name is not found in the book of life and then they serve as an invitation they serve as an invitation for those who haven't become familiar with this Jesus person he wants to invite you through these visions to be a part of this kingdom that would never end. But the question is, how will you respond? And for the believer in the room, Christ has won your heart. He has given you new life. But this new life doesn't mean it, it comes without suffering. In fact, Peter is very clear, in this life, you're going to have suffering. But this suffering just means it won't be in vain. I'm going to invite the band up. God wants to use every last one of us in here. As Second Timothy, we read earlier, talked about that God's word is used for reproof, for correction. It's used for encouragement. But all of these different things that God uses his word for is to equip us 
for good works that he's already prepared. These visions serve as an opportunity for us to grow closer to God, to have our hope for the future, the soon coming reality that Jesus is going to reign and rule. And in the meantime, that we're to serve one another.